Uh, so, hey, this morning, what I want to do is I want to introduce something to you, a brand new series. It's going to be really exciting. I feel like a salesman. Um, I'm going to try not to be a salesman, but I'm, I want to motivate you this morning about something. And here it is. You and I have an opportunity to practice the Christian life. To practice the Christian life uh, requires certain things. And so we're going to talk about that this morning, just kind of an overall, kind of a big picture idea of what it means to practice the Christian life. We're followers of Christ. How do we actually practice it? How do we live it out? Okay? So that's where we're headed over the next four months. And as Luke indicated, we're going to actually be practicing as we're learning about deeper prayer in our lives, a greater study and interest in the Word of God, um, the practice of simplicity. And you might go, why simplicity? Well, Bill came up with that one, so ask him. Um, that's how we got that one in the four, is that he voted for that one. And I think simplicity is really important. To simplify your life is, I mean, right, Chris, wouldn't you say? To simplify your life is really important. You probably tell many of your patients or your clients, I should say, every single day that, that some, your problem is you're overcomplicating things, right? See, I knew he's going to say that. Thank you. Thanks for that. Um, so simplicity, how do we overcomplicate our lives, how to really simplify to what it really is all about? And then finally, number four, generosity, which you just heard about through Mike, that um, people that are strong and deep in their relationship with Christ are generous people. That it, they go hand in hand. Our generosity is motivated by the depth of our walk with the Lord. You cannot convince somebody to give away their life. You cannot, um, you can't bribe them. You can't make them. I, you can't, I can't make you pull out your wallets and give to the church or give to somebody else or give time away in your life. So I'm getting a little ahead of myself. That's going to come in four months, okay? So you're going to have to wait. But here we are. We're going to jump into this thing, and we're going to look at these four practices. But today's an introduction. This morning's an introduction. And I want to introduce the whole idea of practicing the Christian life with a passage of Scripture that Paul uses in Colossians chapter 3. He writes to the church of Colossae, and he writes these words about how it is, why it is, that we are to practice the Christian life and how we actually do it. And this is how Paul motivates this church of the first century. And this church, by the way, was located in the country of Turkey, the modern-day country of Turkey, along the coast. And uh, Colossae stood there as a first-century Roman city, and it's now gone, just a mountain. Literally, just a mountain. If you go there, I've been there. I've stood on the top of Colossae, and it is a mountain of dirt, and the city is deep under the dirt. It's never been excavated because nobody's ever raised the money to, um, to go down and, and look at this city uh, and, and excavate it and bring it back to life. But it, there it is. It's, it's, but there's a message that comes out of that, um, that old ancient city that Paul writes to, and here's the words. Colossians chapter 3 Chapter, chapter, chapter 3, verses 1 all the way to verse 17. It's a long passage, and I want to read it to you. And I want to identify three things that Paul mentions in this passage. He's going to talk about our identity. 
He's going to talk about our practices, and he's going to talk about the interior of your life. Those three things, and he's going to move from one to the other. Okay, listen. He starts with identity. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things of God, not on the things of this earth. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. It's all about your identity. And then he moves into verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to these things. And he's going to list a whole bunch of things, bad habits, bad practices, ways of the old life. And he's going to talk about them. He's going to mention immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry, idolatry for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you were also once walked. We all came from that. We all came from a life of really bad habits and bad practices when you were living in them. But now also put aside anger and wrath and malice and slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have, in verse 10, put on the new self. You put off the old, you put on the new. That's called a practice. That's a routine. That's a discipline, right? So he moves from identity to discipline, a discussion about the practices of our life. We aren't to practice those old things anymore. We're now to put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew. There's no distinction between the circumcised and the uncircumcised, the barbarian, the Scythian, the slave, the freeman, all in Christ. We're all together. We're all in a family of God that have adopted now a new set of practices, a new set of routines in our life that, that identify us as followers of Christ. So those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a new heart of compassion, put on kindness, put on humility, put on gentleness, put on patience and bearing with one another. See the difference between those two? I mean, it's a stark difference. It's a radical change in behavior. Um, And he goes on. Whoever has a complaint against one another, you're going to put that aside as well. The Lord forgave you. You should also forgive them. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. It's thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do. So Paul now moves from this idea of identity into a whole new set of practices or routines, and then he looks at this idea of let the peace of Christ rule within you, which is all about your interior. It starts in the interior. So how does this actually happen? A lot of my ideas are coming from Um, a book that I am currently reading. I'm not done yet, but I've got the gist of it. And it's um, 
Atomic Habits. Has anybody read Atomic Habits? So yeah, a few a few readers out there, and it's who have read that book. It's a fantastic book. It really is because what the author is trying to communicate is that the the, the habits are atomic habits. They're atomic in nature, which means they're very very small. You may not even be able to see them, but because they're so powerful. Over a period of time, you begin to see the accumulation of them, and then all of a sudden, it's an explosion. It's a major change. It's it's called the one percent change. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to look at this passage and go, "That'll never happen to me. I'll never be able to change my life." I mean, to radically change like that seems totally impossible. That's like me at the men's retreat this last few weekends ago. There were three men that decided to do a men's. Um, uh, mountain bike, you know, just a mountain bike uh, afternoon tour. I won't mention their names, but one of them is here, Francois, and um, and Gib and Kyle, and uh, they're all studs on a mountain bike. And so I brought my mountain bike, thinking I would go with them. And luckily, as I pulled my mountain bike off the car, I noticed that my shock in the back was broken. Oh, such a bummer. Uh, it was a 30-mile loop on a mountain bike, and here's the problem. I've never gone 30 miles before on a mountain bike, especially in Big Bear, heading straight up to the, uh, the peak and riding the crest line. No way. That seems totally impossible for me. Why? Because I've never done it before. Because I've never ext- I've not, I haven't got there yet. I've mountain biked. I know how to mountain bike, so what did I do? I didn't give up. I went and rented an electric bike, and it was fantastic. <laughs> and I went 15 miles and had a wonderful time, got lots of exercise. And the rest of them went on another 15 miles and another three hours and got home for dinner at 6 o'clock. And uh, it worked out perfect. But here's the point. We often think that we've got to jump, and it's a small change that's going to happen. In fact, this is illustrated in the Atomic Habits about a cycling team. And Tommy's going to love this illustration. And you probably know this one. is the British cycling team for 100 years was at the bottom of the heap. They, just, they had one gold medal. That's it. One. 100 years. They got a new management team. And they begin to make very, very, very small changes. A small 1% change in the seats of their bikes. 1% change, change in their clothing, 1% change in their food, a small percent change of how they sleep before a race, and on and on it went. And the accumulation of all those very, very small changes in how they practiced turned them into a world-class cycling team. By 2008, they won 60% of the medals that were offered in cycling around the world. 60% went on to win the Tour de France, right, several years in a row in the 15, 16, 17, 2015, 16, 17. How did that happen? If nothing in your life changes, it's because you're not doing anything different. And it's not because you're doing big things, it's because you're doing what? Small things. It's the small changes in our life, practice over a long period of time, the accumulation of that 
produces something different in your life. That's my big idea. That's why we're going to dive into this idea of practices. You don't say, well, I want to be a prayer warrior. And just like, why it's not happening. Why is it not happening? You have to begin small, but you have to begin at the right place. And that's what I want to talk about over the next uh, few minutes with you out of this passage. So let me just start here. Take an inventory of your life. Just take a quick, a quick inventory of your life. Now, I'm not asking you for feedback here, but what are your habits? What are your routines? What are your practices? What do you do every day? What have you built into your lifestyle? Think about it. Just take a minute. They could be bad ones. They could be good ones. You could be get, you've gotten into some bad habits. Maybe you've, got, maybe you've really developed some good habits. And then begin to think, how did you get those into your life? How did they become absorbed into who you are as a person? Paul is going to explain that here in this passage. And he does this by talking about our identity first, then our practices, and then he's going to finish up by saying, and what it's going to do is it's going to begin to change the interior life. And here's my premise. Practices begin with identity. And they change your interior of who you are. You become someone different because you believe something different about you, who you are. And you begin to practice those things that are now consistent with who you believe you are. If you think you're a bad person, if you think uh, 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 your life will never amount to anything, or whatever you think about yourself, guess what? We often build routines and practices into our life based upon that, which actually has a result of changing the interior life. And what Paul wants to do is the ultimate goal is that the peace of Christ would rule of your hearts. He wants the peace of Christ. See, circumstances are not the big issue. It's the interior of your life. Because what's going on in the inside will determine how you respond to any circumstance in your life. Circumstances happen. They, we all have sort of bad circumstances and good circumstances. It's not a matter of trying to have more good circumstances than bad circumstances, right? Because you can't change that. But what's going on in the interior of your life will have a greatest influence in the transformation of your life. And that's what we're really shooting for is transformation. That's what Paul talks about, being complete in Christ, Colossians 1.28. The completion of Christ in us is a work in progress. And we're all going to do that. So let's look at that. Let's just take a, a quick look. And it's, it's a deeper look. I had this conversation Saturday. My dear friend, Dr. Ron Boyd, who's a, a dear friend, an author, a speaker, and, and uh, travels the world and, and investigates the persecuted church. So he's in India and in China. He's all over the world in parts of the world where uh, it's illegal to practice Christianity oftentimes and whether the in many cases, the church is actually underground. It's, it's, it meets in a secret place where the government doesn't even know it exists. It's that kind of environment where literally millions and millions of Christians around the world worship their faith. They worship Christ secretly because that's the only way to do it or they'll be persecuted. 
And many of them are persecuted. And so Ron came over, and it was a wonderful meeting. And I told him what we were going to teach on, and he said these words. He goes, it is good to see the church returning to the monastery. He, he just has, he's Scottish. And he lives in, in England, in, near Oxford, in the Cotswolds. And he has this Scottish accent. And I just love sometimes the way he says things. And he just, very concise, it's good to see the church returning to the monastery. In other words, going deeper. Going deeper is the idea. We've got to go deeper and make some changes in our life. So how do we do that? Well, Paul begins here. And here it is in Colossians chapter 3. He says, therefore, you've been raised with Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things below, for you have been. Do you see that? The reason why you and I are to look up and not look down is not because we don't. It's not because Paul's saying you don't live here because you do live here. You go to school. You work, you live in a home, you have a family, you have relationships, you got bills to pay. We live in the real world. Paul knows that. And Paul is addressing a church that lived in the first century Roman world. And there was a philosophy that controlled the first century. It was an empirical, it was, it was, a, it was an emperor. And there was, this, there was this, this sense of full control and autonomy that an emperor had over its people, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a complete control grab going on in first century Rome, that a small group of people had all the power. And yet, through this idea of Pax Romana, which is peace, the Roman armies won peace around the world. Their empire was at peace at this time of first century. They were, they were trusting, if you trust us, we're going to give you peace and prosperity. And that was the message, that we have all the power, we're going to take care of you, and we're going to give you peace and prosperity. And that wasn't working out too well for most people. And so Paul's saying, that's not your core identity. Your our core, our core identity is looking up, not looking down. And when you look up, what do you see? The heavenlies. And who's in the heavenlies? God. Heavenly simply means where God is. That's all it is. It's not like it's this place that we go to at some point later in the future when we all die, we go to heaven. It's the heavenlies is where God reigns. Currently, it's his realm. And does he not reign on this earth as well? Through us, God is ever-present. And so what, it's, what, it's, what Paul is talking about here is having a focus on God in the present world circumstance that you're in. Your identity is that you are a member of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of God. That's your core identity because you've died. Notice what he says. You've been resurrected. Your life has been hidden. You've been resurrected. You've been brought to life. Out of life, he's revealed you. And you'll receive glory one day, yes, in the future. But currently, right now, you exist in the realm of God. And Christ is the king. And the kingdom that you live for that has your primary identity is the heavenlies. That's why we look up. That's why we keep seeking those things above. It starts with identity. Does that make sense? 
So what, what Paul's saying is that in, if you, if you want to make some changes in your life, you've got to start with your core identity because who you are is who you're going to become. Who you think you are is who you're going to become. You've got to begin to change that. Well, let me give you an example. One personal, and then uh, I'll just talk briefly about a, a movie that I recently saw. But the key is this. Who I am or who I am determines who I become, and who I become dictates my routines and my practices. It all flows from that. It starts with identity. And so I, I began writing out some of the things that I believe are true. This is really good. This is a good exercise. This is an encouraging. What is true of you? Can you find anything in Colossians 3, 1 to 4 that you find to be true of you that you could apply to your life? I mean, this is who you are. Um, I have this sense of worry, and, and oftentimes I worry about things that I know are not going to come true. In fact, I finally learned this. It, it finally soaked in when I was going through an illness, and I was so worried about it, like it's not going to get better, it's just going to get worse, and blah, blah, blah. You know the routine, right? You just keep getting worse, and the more you worry, what happens? The worse it gets, and the worse you feel right? I remember years ago, I had this little pain in my stomach, and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to die, right? And so you're just like immediately go to these crazy places in your mind. And, and then I learned something. When 90% or more of what you worry about will never come true, that's a profound observation. And so I began to shift, realizing that I am hidden in Christ. He has full control of my life. I began to rechange my, my identity of who I am and who I'm rooted to, not my circumstance, but Christ. And I began to think and pray over Scripture, and all of a sudden, every time I'd worry, I'd find myself repeating those things about what's true of me, and I began to pray them out and speak them out over my concern or my worry. Small thing. And it just became a habit. Um, I wrote down these things. Um, I'm honored by and accepted by Christ. I know that's true of me. He has me securely in his grip. He has given me what I need to succeed. And I find these in scripture. I'm a vessel of honor and I am forgiven by his grace. And when I repeat those things to myself, guess what happens? things begin to change and I begin to act based upon those. Um, so here's how it's applied. So now when I look at my whole life, I recognize a, what was, happens with identity and this is, this is key with identity. What Paul is trying to communicate, it's not simply something that you say, but something that you truly believe and begin to live out. So instead of reading a book and, and, and trying to convince myself to go read a book. I never read, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start, I'm going to read a book. It's really hard, isn't it? It's like really hard to get motivated to do that unless you really believe in yourself that you are a reader. And when you say to yourself, I'm a reader, and then you begin to prove it to yourself by actually reading or picking up a book and reading, Something changes in your brain and you begin to live out that new identity. I swim. I hate getting up at 5 a.m. in the morning. Can't stand it. It's really hard. 
But every time I get up, I don't say to myself, I'm going to go swim. I wake up and say, I'm a swimmer. I'm a swimmer. I know that about myself. I'm a swimmer. And so that's why I keep getting up and why I'm joining this team. Um, I wrote down several other things. Uh, and they're all statements of, of fact about who I am. I love um, pursuing God in a deeper way. I know I do. So what do I do? I'm always searching the scriptures, always reading, motivating myself to learn more about God, going deeper in my relationship with God. Why? Because my core identity is I see myself as someone who wants to pursue God in a deeper way. I want to know him more. I want to understand him more. And so I'm constantly trying to motivate. Does that make sense? And so it starts with that core identity. Let me tell you a story. It's a movie. 2022, a movie came out called To Leslie. Anybody see this movie? We just tripped across it. It's really hard to watch. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a remarkable story about a, based on a true story about a woman in West Texas, a mother who wins the lottery. She's a single mom, has this child. She wins $190,000, and you would think that that would change her life. It doesn't. She actually drinks the money away. And now her son is, um, she's separated from her son and her son is, has moved on and her life has literally gone all the way downhill. And I'm going to tell you two scenes and that's it, but you got to see the movie because it's really hard to watch, but in it, you really see what happens to this woman who is, really feels like she's lost everything. She's now homeless. She looks terrible and her life is falling apart and she's in a bar and she's sitting in front of her drink and she stares off into space and she has one of these existential moments where she realizes if I, can, if I take this drink and continue on this path, I know, the, I know the end. The end is near. It was that kind of a moment and you could see it in her face. And she got up and left and decided, I want to change. Change didn't happen until the next time she was in a bar and she had a drink in front of her and there was a young cowboy, good-looking cowboy that said, hey, no one should drink alone. And he moved over next to her, realized what kind of a person she was, and he decided, I'm going to go find social connection with somebody else. And she says, before you leave, I know, I'm, I, I, I know you don't want to talk to me. She knew something about her. She said this, tell me I'm good or tell me I'm scum. And he looked at her, and he said to her, you're good. And it was in that moment that her identity changed. And her core identity completely changed in her life. And that set her off on a different course. It was one moment of having a new understanding of who you really are as a person. You've got to know that. Nothing's going to change. And then Paul goes in and he continues on with this idea that we are to put on and put off. Do you see this? Consider the members of your earthly body as dead immorality, impurity, all these things that we don't want, greed, idolatry, um, anger. He goes on to talk about math, wrath, and not math, wrath, malice. Math is probably in there too for some of us that aren't math majors. But um, slander, abusive speech, all the things that we don't want in our lives, right? This is a list of things that we would put up and say, this is not, I don't want this to be true of me. I don't want to practice these things. And then Paul says, 
but put on the new self that's being renewed in the true knowledge, a renewal that comes no distinction between all these individual people that are in Christ. You've chosen God. You've been chosen of God. And now put on compassion, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. Do you see that? All the things that are now true of you. How does that happen? It doesn't happen by willpower. It happens by this one idea. I'm going to give it to you. Thomas Chalmers was in 1800s. He, was, he lived in the 1800s, early 1800s. He was a Scottish minister, Thomas Chalmers. And he wrote a small exposition, 11 pages. It's worth reading. You can look it up. The expulsion, the expulsive power of a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. He's getting at a root idea. Jonathan Edwards came up with this idea in his book, Religious Affections, prior to this writing. And the idea here is you need a new affection. And what Thomas Chalmers says, which is very, very powerful, he says, you don't get rid of idols, you replace them. You cannot, rep you cannot get rid of a bad habit, you replace it. So something has to take its place. He says these words. Here it is. The heart is not con so constituted, and the only way to dispossess it of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. That's his big idea. So essentially, we, um, we are beginning now a new season of putting in place some new practices that are consistent with our, our, our core identity. And when we begin to put those things in practice and we begin to put them in place of other things, I was thinking about this, of how often I turn to the media for information. And I would just want to know what's going on. The next headline. And I just, I'm a headline junkie. And I've created this habit of just needing to know what's going on, not only in the morning, but the middle of the day and at the end of the day. And I'm constantly checking in. And what, what I'm realizing is that's exactly, the, that in my life needs to be a habit that needs to be changed with checking in with God's word. This would be a momentary, small 1% change in my life that could begin a whole new pattern of not thinking about what the, what's going on in the world, but what's going on in God's world by checking back in with the Lord on a regular basis in his word and reframing that. I sat down this morning and I wrote out in my journal that I want to begin to make those 1% changes in areas where I want to see most change in my life. And that was one of them right there of just putting a different practice where there's an old practice. And then finally, Paul ends with this and I'll end, I'll end with this. He begins then he, find, he, he begins with identity, moves to practices and ends with real change. And real change is when the peace of Christ rules in your heart. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. This idea of richly dwell, the idea of letting the peace of Christ rule. It's an umpire. Think of an umpire. The umpire in the first century during the games actually kept on ruling people out. And so it's the idea of just holding back anything 
that is going to try to get inside of us that's going to begin to change us for the worse. So outside influences so that the interior of our lives is fully controlled by the peace of Christ. It may dwell in there. And when that interior is now fully, kind of fully encapsulates the peace of Christ, we begin to see the greatest amount of change. So here's, here's where we're going. We are going to begin a series on practices that begin, help us, that, that will help us live out our true identity to bring about the peace of Christ in our lives. Let me give you a final illustration. John Coltrane, and the worship team can come up. Um, John Coltrane, does anybody know who John Coltrane is? Yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, of course, Godwin knows. And the musicians, all the rest of the musicians know John Coltrane because the great jazz saxophonist is best known for his, his wandering riffs. If you've ever heard John Coltrane, he just, he just amazing. You, just, you have no idea where he's going. But it's, it's remarkable just to listen to these riffs that go on and on and on and on. And he was asked by an interviewer how he became such an inventive, original talent. Coltrane answered by recounting all the tedious hours of practice as a youth, trying to master the basics of clarity, note changes, moving up and down the scale, all the things that a musician doesn't really like to do. If you're playing an instrument, your teacher's going to tell you you've got to master the scales, and you're going to say, that's the worst thing. I mean, that's no fun. It's no fun to play the scales. I mean, I want to play a song. The first thing you want to do when you pick up the guitar or whatever it is, is play the song. I want to play a song. And no, you got to master the basics. you got to master the scales. And going, after going on for a long time with such details, Coltrane paused, leaned over to the interviewer, and broke a slightest smile. And then you forget all that, he said, and you just wail. You just wail. It becomes who you are. You become something different. It comes out of you. And Coltrane, if you hear his music, there's so much soul in it. It's so much depth. How did he get there? He's wailing. He's just, forget all that, but he didn't really forget it because it's become who he is. And now it just comes out. And that's the kind of musician he is. And you and I want to become more complete in Christ, don't we? It's a process of small changes. So let's commit that together as we study God's word, enter into prayer, practice simplicity and generosity. So Father, as we um, step into a time of worship and then um, communion, uh, we're going to pass out the communion. So let's go ahead and do that. And Luke's going to come up and actually lead us in a time. But I just want to thank, thank you, Lord, that um, you are the Lord of the universe and that our identity is hidden with you. And um, Father, we um, have a great opportunity in front of us to live out that identity. And I pray, Father, that uh, as we begin to take inventory and stock of our lives, we might discover some new opportunities through practices where we can begin to put off and put on and begin to see the, the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Todd. I love what... Um...
Todd was talking about in this sense of our identity serves as the, the forerunner in terms of transformation and change that comes in our life. And as he was illuminating in, his, in this text in Colossians, as Paul continually says, there's this one preposition that's key for us. And if you're a Bible nerd, you might enjoy this. It's the word with. You're with Christ. You're with Christ in his death. You're with Christ in his resurrection. If you are with Christ and this is key to who we are. Todd mentioned these internal identities that he was finding within himself, to of seeking the Lord more, of being a swimmer, of, and, and on it goes. And what's so essentially true about us is also this external reality that we are with Christ, that Christ has done something for us that we now get to look and see that we are with him in everything, in Christ Jesus. It's, it's a beautiful mystery how this all works out, that we are with Christ, that that is the most true thing about you when you put your faith in Jesus, that you are united to him in his death, that you are united to him in his resurrection. And out of that comes this response of obedient love, that Christ transforms us, that he changes, changes us. Because we are united with Christ in his death and in, with Christ in his resurrection, that's where our love becomes, our love for him, for what he's done for us becomes the source, the energizing source for this putting off of the old habits, putting on of the new habits, and in that, the peace of Christ dwells. And this habit that we have every week of coming to the table is one that we think is essential in changing us in this manner. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took, he was sitting with his friends and he took bread and he broke it and gave it to each of his disciples and said, this is my body given for you. Go ahead now, take and eat. And in a similar manner, he took the cup and he passed it to his disciples and said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. Take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. And when we do this, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Will you stand with me? And we'll... Uh... Grace, what have you done? Murder for me on that cross, accused in absence of wrong. My sin washed away in your blood. Too much to make sense of it all. I know that your love breaks my fall The scandal of grace that you died in my place So my soul will
say we are God, that may we be firmly planted in the foundation of the truth of who you say we are. We love you, God. We worship you this morning. May these words of encouragement go deep into our hearts this week. Propel us forward into a deeper relationship of knowing you, becoming more like you. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you guys. We'll see you next week. Bless you all.